I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ah, well, it seems that you have reached the drawing room here in the mansion of Leaves of Glen, where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, we'll continue to read David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. It's his eighth novel, uh, published in 1850, and is widely considered his most popular work. Mm -hmm. About the author, uh, he's born the 7th of February, 1812, and uh, died the 9th of June, 1870. Um, I have fun facts, which I am holding close to my chest and not sharing with anyone until I really need to. Uh, this week, we're going to find out that his last novel, uh, The Mystery of Edwin Drood, remains a mystery. Uh, before his death, Dickens had written half of a novel titled The Mystery of Edwin Drood. This novel was left unfinished when he died of a stroke in 1870. The story uh, was about Edward Drood, a young man engaged to Rosa Budd. Rosa's uncle, uh, John Jasper, was fond of her, and so was Neville from Ceylon. Unfortunately, Edward and Rosa broke off their engagement, and soon after, he disappeared. Uh, the author, Dickens, did not hint on what may have happened to Edwin. Uh, was he murdered? Question mark. If so, was it Uncle John who did it? Oh, that's creepy. Several mediums have attempted to rewrite the ending of the love story through radio shows and television films. What? Oh, several mediums like entertainment mediums? Radio shows and television shows? Oh, I thought they meant like psychics. Like clairvoyant was trying to figure out the ending. Now, I think they're just talking about different... Uh, things. Uh, let's recap the previous chapter. David heads to Dover uh, and has to sell his clothes to survive and sleep sleep on haystacks. And outside the school where he, he lusts over that one boy that he likes so much. Uh, the journey's terrifying when he keeps running into people that basically want to steal his money or kill him. Uh, even when there was one guy threatening him, and there was a, a young lady nearby who was kind of telling him to go and run. Uh, she gets knocked down to the ground, so it's just a wasteland out there, like Mad Max. Uh, when he gets to Dover, he asks around and finally finds out uh, where his aunt lives and uh, finds out that she's sharing a house with a man only known as Mr. Dick. Lols. And the place is actually nice, even though Betsy's weird. And she takes him in for the night and bathes him. And as he falls asleep, he's not sure if uh, he gets to stay there permanently, which he would love, or if he has to go uh, back to the Murdstones. So with that... Oh, wait. Oh, I have so much time left before the grandfather clock kicks in. Dang it. What am I going to talk about? Uh, my personal life? I got nothing to talk about. I haven't left the house in a week. At all. I went grocery shopping once, because now I can't go spending money as a reason to get out of the house with COVID, because I don't have a job. So now I have to, like, watch 
when I'm spending and not go out and buy groceries or whatever just to be out around people. Uh, now I just sit in the house. It has warmed up slightly, though. It was minus 25 one day uh, last week. Uh, it's gotten to be about 20 degrees. So that's like a summer. Summertime in Minnesota. Uh, today I was going to go out and take a walk or something just to get out of the house. And uh, I didn't because, uh, I don't know, seasonal depression. Who knows? Uh, unemployment depression. Something's going on. And I just recorded a podcast uh, with my friend Ben tonight. And uh, we both sat around and talked about how we, uh, we both are just glum and don't have any energy to do anything except sit around and just stare at a wall. So that's all I got to report uh, report in my life. Uh, I have nothing else. <laughs> so let's just sit here quietly until the clock goes, which I hope to God happens soon, because this is uncomfortable. Oh, there we go. Oh, what a relief. Thank God you're not here in person, because we would have just been staring at each other. And I just smile and kind of nod at you uh, without finding anything to say. But let's dive into our story and find out what happens next. Well, come in, come in, sit down here in my library. And, uh... Yeah, I see you've noticed the picture I have of four gentlemen lined up against a black background, smiling kindly to you, the viewer, and they're all giving you the finger. Um, it's a photo uh, that a friend of mine that I've known since 1985, uh, he took a series of photos with his three other brothers uh, to give as a gift to his mother, uh, which seems a little vain, but they... They all took pictures of them, like, uh, by railroad tracks, looking kind of like ruffians, or I forget what some of the other ones were. I think a speedboat was involved in one of them. But uh, this one is just simply them against a black background with kind, loving faces that if you held your hand over the bottom half of the photo, you didn't see them giving you the finger. You'd think, oh, it's just them just looking kind and nice, a, a nice photo for their mother. But if you remove your hand, you see all four of them have their, their arms up and they're giving you the middle finger. Yeah, I have it. I got a copy of this photo uh, back in 2006 and I've kept it in any personal office I've ever had in any home I've ever lived in is an inspiration, which I hope inspires you as I read chapter 14. My aunt makes up her mind about me. On going down in the morning, I found my aunt musing so profoundly over the breakfast table, uh, with her elbow on the tray, that the contents of the urn had overflowed the teapot and uh, were laying the whole tablecloth under water, uh, when my entrance put her meditations into flight. I felt sure that I had been the subject of her reflections and was more than ever anxious to know her intentions toward me. Yet I dared not express my anxiety lest I should give her offense. My eyes, however, not being so much under control as my tongue, were attracted toward my aunt very often during breakfast. I never could look at her for a few moments together, but I found her looking at me in an odd, thoughtful manner, as if I were an immense way off. Instead of being on the other side of the small round table, mm, 
And when she had finished her breakfast, my aunt very deliberately leaned back in her chair, knitted her brows, folded her arms, and contemplated me at her leisure with such a fixedness of attention that I was uh, quite overpowered with embarrassment. Yeah, and not having as yet finished my own breakfast, I attempted to, to hide my confusion by proceeding with it, but uh, my knife uh, tumbled over my fork, uh, my, my fork tripped up my knife, and I chopped bits of bacon, a uh, surprising height into the air, instead of uh, cutting them for my own eating, and choked myself with my tea, which persisted in going the, the wrong way instead of the right one, until I gave in altogether and sat blushing under my aunt's close scrutiny, period. Oh, good. This chapter's already off to giant paragraphs of no period. <laughs> Hello, H-A-L-L-O, said my aunt after a long time. I looked up and met her sharp, bright glance respectfully. I have written to him, said my aunt, to big long M dash question mark. To your father-in-law, said my aunt, I've sent a letter that I'll trouble him to attend to, or he and I will fall out. I can tell him. Where does he know where I am, aunt? I inquired, alarmed. I have told him, said my aunt with a nod. Shall I, M-B, M-give it up to him, question mark? I faltered. I don't know, said my aunt. We shall see. Burp. Oh, but I can't. Think what I shall do, I exclaimed, if I have to go back to Mr. Murdstone. I don't know anything about it, said my aunt, shaking her head. I can't say. I'm sure. Eh, well, she'll see. Well, my spirit sank under these words, and I became very downcast and heavy of heart. My aunt, without appearing to take much uh, heed of me, put on a coarse apron with a bib, uh, which she took out of the press and washed up the teacups with her own hands. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> and when everything was washed and set in the tray again with the cloth, thought, would they wear gloves back then? Did they have rubber gloves back then? I don't. I want to know what the the own hands is. That she should have a servant. Just that one sentence is like the Batman one from last week. I, I'm never going to be able to sleep. Uh, and the cloth followed and put on top of the hole, rang for Janet to remove it. She next swept up the crumbs uh, with a little broom, putting on a pair of gloves first. Oh, they do wear gloves, until there did not appear to be one microscopic speck left on the carpet. Next dusted and arranged the broom, which was dusted and arranged to a hair's breadth already. When all of these tasks were performed to her satisfaction, she took off the gloves and apron, yeah, folded them up and put them in the peculiar corner of the press from which they had been taken, brought out her workbox to her own table in the open window, and uh, eh, sat down with the green fan between her and the light to work. Uh, we should go upstairs, said my aunt as she threaded her needle, and give my compliments to Mr. Dick, and I'll be glad to know how he gets on with his uh, memorial. Well, I rose with alacrity uh, to equip myself of this commission. I suppose, said my aunt, eyeing me as narrowly as she had eyed the needle in threading it. You think, Mr. Dick, a short name, eh? I thought it was rather a, a short name yesterday, I confessed. You're not, uh, suppose that he has got a longer name if he chose to use it, said my aunt with a loftier air. Babley, Mr. Richard Babley, that's the gentleman's true name. 
I was going to suggest with a modest sense of my youth and the familiarity that I had already been guilty of that I had better give him the full benefit of that name when my aunt went on to say, but don't you call him by it. Ah, whatever you do, oh, he can't bear his name. That's a peculiarity of his. Though I don't know that much, it's, uh, it's much of a peculiarity either, for he has been ill-used enough by some of that to bear it, uh, to have mortal antipathy for it, heaven knows. Mr. Dick is his name here and everywhere else now. If I uh, ever went anywhere else, which I don't, oh, which he don't, so take care, child, and don't call him anything but Mr. Dick. I promised to obey, and I uh, went upstairs with my message, thinking as I went that if Mr. Dick had been working at his memorial long, at the same rate as I had been seeing him working at it though through the open door, uh, when I came down, he was probably getting on very well indeed. I found him still driving at it with a long pen and his head almost laid upon the paper. Uh, he was so intent upon it uh, that I had ample leisure to observe the large paper kite in a corner. Yeah, the confusion bundles of manuscript, the, the number of pens, and above all, the quantity of ink, uh, parentheses, which he seemed to have in, uh, half-gallon jars by the dozen, and parentheses. Before he observed my being present, Aha! Fabius, said Mr. Dick, laying down his pen, how does the world go? I'll tell you, I want to find out what Fabius means, and if I'm even pronounce, uh, pronouncing it right. It's got to be a reference to something. An epithet of Apollo, used in contexts in which the god was identified with the sun. Phoebes. Oh, boy, did I mispronounce that one. It's just Phoebes. Well, whatever. How does the world go? I'll tell you what, he added in a lower tone. I shouldn't wish it to be mentioned, but it's, uh, dash. Here, he beckoned me and put his lips close to my ear. It's a mad world. Mad as bedlam, boy, said Mr. Dick, taking snuff from a round box on the table and laughing heartily. Without presuming to give my opinion on the question, I delivered my message. Well, said Mr. Dick in an answer, my compliments to her, and I, I believe I have made a start. I think I have made a start, said Mr. Dick, passing his hand among his gray hair and casting anything but a confident look at the manuscript. Uh, have you, have you been to school? Yes. "'Sir,' I answered, for a short time. "'Do you recollect the date?' said Mr. Dick, looking earnestly at me and taking up his pen to note it down, "'when King Charles I had his, his head cut off. "'I said I believed it happened to be uh, in the year 1649. "'Well,' returned Mr. Dick, scratching his ear with his pen and looking dubiously at me, "'so the books say, but I don't see how it can be, because if it were so long ago, "'how could the people about him have made that mistake of putting some of the trouble out of his head "'after it was taken off into mine?' "'I was, uh, ah, very much surprised by the inquiry.' but could give no information on the point. It's very strange, said Mr. Dick, with a despondent look upon his papers and uh, his hand among his hair again, that I never can get that quite right. I can never make that perfectly clear, but no matter, no matter, he said cheerfully, and rousing himself, there's time enough. My compliments to Miss Trotwood. I'm getting on very well indeed. <sighs> I was going away. Uh, when he directed my attention to the kite. Yeah, what do you think of that for a kite? He said. I answered it was a beautiful one, and I should think it must have been as much as uh, uh, seven feet high. I made it. Uh, we'll go and fly it, you and I, said Mr. Dick. Do, do you see this? 
He showed me that it was uh, covered with manuscript, very closely and laboriously written, but so plainly that as I looked along the lines, I thought I saw some allusion to uh, King Charles, the first head again, in one or uh, two places. Oh, there's plenty of string, said Mr. Dick. And when it flies high, it, uh, it takes the facts a long way. That's my manner of diffusing them. I don't know where they may come down. It's according to the circumstances and the wind and uh, yeah, so forth, but I, I take my chance of that. His face was uh, ah, so very mild and pleasant and had something uh, so reverend, reverend, reverend in it. All right. Though it was uh, hale and hearty, and I was not sure, but that he was having a a good-humored jest with me. So I laughed, and he laughed. Then we parted the, the best friends possible. Well, child, said my aunt when I went downstairs, and what of Mr. Dick this morning? Well, I informed her that uh, he sent his compliments. It was getting on very well indeed. And what do you what do you think of him? Said my aunt. I had some shadowy idea of endeavoring to evade that question, but replying that I thought him a nah, a very nice gentleman. But my aunt was not to be so put off, for she laid her work down in her lap and said, folding her hands upon it, "Come, your sister Betsy Trotwood would have told me what she had thought of anyone directly. Be." as like your sister as you can, and speak out. Is he... Is Mr. Dick... I ask because I don't know, Aunt. Is he at all, uh, out of his mind, then? I stammered, for I felt I was on dangerous ground. Oh, not a morsel, said my aunt. Oh, indeed, I observed faintly. If there is anything in the world, said my aunt, with a great decision and force of manner, that Mr. Dick is not, it's that. I had nothing better to offer uh, than another timid, Oh, indeed. He has been called mad, said my aunt. I have a selfish pleasure in saying that he has been called mad, or that I should not have had the benefit of his society and advice for the last uh, ten years and upwards. In fact, ever since your sister, Betsy Trotwood, disappointed me. So odd that she will not let go of this fantasy sister that he has not had. Uh, and judges him against it. So long as that, I kind of like the idea. Like, I should do that to my own daughters. Talk about a son that never existed and how they're never measuring up, just to see what happens. It'd be kind of an interesting little uh, experiment. So long as that, I said, and nice people they were who had the audacity to call him mad, pursued my aunt. Mr. Dick is a, a sort of distant connection of mine. Oh, it doesn't matter how, and I needn't enter into that. If it hadn't been for me, his own brother would have shut him up for life. That's all. I'm afraid it was hypocritical of me, but seeing that my aunt felt strongly on the subject, I tried to look as if I uh, felt strongly too. A proud fool, said my aunt, because his brother was a little eccentric, though he is not half so eccentric as uh, a good many people. He didn't like to have him visible about his house, so he sent him away to some uh, old private asylum place, though he had been left to his particular care by their deceased father, who thought him almost unnatural. And a wise man, he must have been to think so. Mad himself, no doubt. Again, as my aunt looked quite convinced, I endeavored to look quite convinced also. So I stepped in, said my aunt, and made him an offer. I said, your brother is sane. A great deal more sane than uh, you are, or ever will be. 
It is so to be hoped. Let him have his little income and come live with me. I'm not afraid of him, and I am not proud. I, these are in italics, am ready to take care of him and shall not ill-treat him as some people, besides the asylum folks, have done. After a good deal of squabbling, said my aunt, I got him. Ah, he's been here ever since. He is the most friendly and amiable creature in existence. And as for advice, oh, but nobody knows what this man mind is except myself. My aunt uh, smoothed her dress and shook her head as if she smoothed defiance of the whole world out of the one and shook it out of the other. He, uh, yeah, he had a favorite sister, said my aunt. Ah, good creature and very kind to him. But she did what they all do. Yeah, took a husband. And, uh, in italics, he did what they all do, make her wretched. It had such an effect upon the mind of Mr. Dick, that's not madness, I hope, that uh, combined with his fear of his brother and his sense of unkindness, it threw him into a fever. That was before he came to me, but the recollection of it is so oppressive to him even now. Did he uh, say anything to you about King Charles the first child? Oh, yes, aunt. Ah, ah, said my aunt, rubbing her nose as if she were a little vexed. That's his allegorical way of expressing it. He connects his illness with great disturbance and agitation, naturally, and that the figure, or the simile, or whatever it's called, which he chooses to use, uh, why, and why shouldn't he, if he thinks proper? I said, eh, certainly, aunt. It's not a business-like way of speaking, said my aunt, nor a worldly way. I'm aware of that, and that's the reason why I insist upon it that there shan't be a word about it in his memorial. It's a memorial about his own history that he's writing, aunt? Yes, child, said my aunt, rubbing her nose again. He is memorializing the Lord Chancellor, or the Lord uh, somebody or other, uh, one of those people, uh, at all events, who are paid to be memorialized about his affairs. I suppose it will go in uh, one of these days, and he hasn't been able to draw it up yet uh, without introducing the mode of expressing himself, but it don't signify it keeps him employed. Uh, in fact, I found out afterwards that Mr. Dick had been for upwards of uh, oh, ten years endeavoring to keep King Charles I out of the memorial, but he had been constantly getting into it and was there now. I, I say again, said my aunt, nobody knows what that man's mind is except myself, and he's the most amiable and friendly creature in existence. If he likes to fly kite sometimes, what of that? Franklin used to fly a kite. Uh, he was a Quaker or something of that sort, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, and a Quaker uh, flying, a, flying a kite is a much more ridiculous object than anybody else. If I could have supposed that my aunt had recounted these particulars for my especial behoof, and as a piece of confidence in me, I should have felt very much distinguished, and should have augured uh, favorably from such a mark of her good opinion. But I could hardly keep uh, myself uh, observing that she had launched into them, chiefly because the question was raised in her own mind and with very little reference to me, though she had addressed herself to me in the absence of anybody else. At the uh, same time, I must say that the generosity of her championship of poor harmless Mr. Dick not only inspired my young breast with some selfish hope for myself, but warmed it unselfishly toward her. I believe that I began to know that there was something about my aunt 
notwithstanding her many eccentricities and odd humors, to be honored and trusted in. Though she was just a just as sharp that day as on the day before, and was in and out about the, uh, the donkeys just as often, and was thrown into a tremendous state of indignation when a, when a young man going by ogled Janet at a window, uh, which was one of the gravest misdemeanors that could be committed against my aunt's dignity. She seemed to me to command more of my respect, if not less of my fear. The anxiety that I underwent in the interval which necessarily elapsed before reply could be received uh, to her letter to Mr. Murdstone was extreme, but I made an endeavor to suppress it and to be as agreeable as I could in a quiet way both to my aunt and uh, Mr. Dick. The latter and I would have gone out to fly the great kite, but that I still had no other clothes than anything but ornamental garments in which I had been decorated on the first day, which confined me to the, yeah, because they burnt his clothes, it confined me to the house except for an hour after dark when my aunt, for my health's sake, paraded me up and down the cliff outside before going to bed. At length, the reply from Mr. Murdstone came, and my aunt informed me, to my infinite terror, that he was coming to speak to her himself on the next day. On the next day, still bundled up in my curious uh, habil habiliments. It's cut in half because of the way H-A-B-I-L-I habiliments. Okay. I sat, counting the time, flushed and heated by the conflict of sinking hopes and rising fears within me, and waiting to be startled by the sight of the gloomy face whose non-arrival started me every minute. My aunt was a little more imperious and stern than usual, but I observed no other token of her preparing herself to receive the visitor, or so much as dreaded by me. She uh, sat at work at the window, and I sat by, uh, with my thoughts running astray and all possible and uh, impossible results of Mr. Murstone's visit, until pretty late in the afternoon. Our dinner had been indefinitely postponed, but it was growing so late that my aunt had ordered it to be got ready, and, and she'd given a sudden alarm of donkeys. And to my consternation and amazement, I beheld Miss Murdstone uh, on the side saddle ride deliberately over the sacred piece of green and stop in front of the house looking about her. Yeah, go along with you, cried my aunt, shaking her head and her fist at the window. You have no business there. How dare you trespass? Go along. Oh, you bold-faced thing. <laughs> my aunt was so exasperated by the coolness which Miss Murdstone looked about her that I really believe uh, she was motionless and unable for the moment to dart out according to custom. I seized the opportunity to inform her who it was and that the gentleman now coming near the offender, uh, parentheses, for the way up was very steep and he had uh, dropped behind, was Mr. Murdstone himself. I don't care who it is cried my aunt, still shaking her head and gesticulating anything but welcome from the bow window. I won't be trespassed upon. I won't allow it. Uh, go away. Janet, turn him around. Lead him off. And I saw from behind my aunt a sort of hurried battle piece in which the donkey stood resisting everybody, and with all his four legs planted different ways, while Janet tried to pull him round by the bridle. Uh, Mr. Murdstone tried to lead him on. Miss Murdstone struck at Janet uh, with a parasol, 
and several boys who had come to see the engagement shouted vigorously. But my aunt, suddenly uh, decrying among them the young malefactor who was the donkey's guardian and who was one of the most invertebrate of the offenders against her, though hardly in his teens, rushed out to the scene of action and pounced upon him, captured him, dragged him with his jacket over his head and his heels grinding on the ground, this is getting violent, into the garden and calling upon Janet to fetch the constables and justices that he might be taken, tried, and executed on the spot, held him at bay there. This part of the business, however, did not last long for the young rascal, uh, being expert at a variety of feints and dodges of which my aunt had no conception, soon went whooping away, leaving some uh, deep impressions of his nailed boots in the flower beds and taking his donkey in triumph with him. Well, with that, let's yeah, let's take a little break. Let's go to the master bedroom. Let's slip under the covers and play footsie with each other as I read to you uh, a new and upcoming romance novel. Ah, there you are. Oh, and you look gorgeous. But I want you to put on this pantsuit, and I want you to brag about how you own a Tesla as we review a new and upcoming romance novel from Penguin Random House Books about rich people living in a cul-de-sac. This one called Quiet in Her Bones by Nagili Singh. Uh, in this gripping thriller set in New Zealand, the New York Times best-selling author, oh my god, again... Nagili Singh takes you into a twisted world of exclusive cul-de-sac located on the edge of a sprawling forest. Oh, then there's just like a, a poem here? My mother vanished ten years ago. So did a quarter of a million dollars in cash. Thief, period. Bitch, period. Criminal, period. Now she's back. Her bones clothed in scarlet silk. <laughs> Burp. When socialite Nina Ray... Disappeared without a trace. Everyone wrote it off as another trophy wife, uh, tired of her wealthy husband. How often does that happen, where people come to that conclusion? Now her bones have turned up in the shadowed green of the forest that surrounds her elite neighborhood. A haven of privilege. Ooh, it's secrets. That's housed the same influential family for decades. The rich live here, along with those whose job it is to make their lives easier. And somebody knows what happened to Nina one rainy night ten years ago. Her, her son, Arav, uh, heard a chilling scream that night. And he's determined to uncover the ugly truth that lies beneath the moneyed elegance. But no one is ready for the murderous secrets about to crawl out of the dark. Even the dead aren't allowed to break the rules in this cul-de-sac. So, quiet in her bones. It's coming out February 23rd. Doesn't make any reference to romance, but it's in the romance section. I imagine with all this murder and rich people, there's got to be some hot, hot scenes. Well, with that, that's uh, that's a little depressing, a little deflating. It's just rich people, and not so much about the love making that you expect to read. Let's uh, let's go back to the library and see if we can get a little more work to do a lather over uh, David Copperfield.
Miss Murdstone, during the latter portion of the contest, had dismounted and was now waiting with her brother at the bottom of the steps until my aunt should be at leisure to receive them. My aunt, a little ruffled by the combat, marched past them into the house with great dignity and took no notice of their presence until they were announced by Janet. Uh, Shall I go away, aunt? I asked, trembling. Oh, no, sir, said my aunt. Certainly not with which she pushed me into a corner near her and fenced me in with a chair as if it were a prison or a a bar of justice. That's weird. That's really weird. This position I continued to occupy during the whole of the interview, just standing there in a corner with a chair blocking you, and from it I now saw Mr. and Miss Murdstone enter the room. That's got to be embarrassing. Oh, oh, said my aunt. I was not aware at first to whom I had the pleasure of objecting, but I don't allow anyone to ride over that turf. Oh, I make no exceptions. I don't allow anyone to do it. Your regulation is rather awkward to strangers, said Miss Murdstone. Is it? said my aunt. (laughs) Mr. Murdstone seemed uh, afraid uh, of a renewal of hostilities and interposing began, Miss Trotwood. Oh, I beg your pardon, observed my aunt with a keen look. You are aware, or you are the Mr. Murdstone who married the widow of my late nephew, David Copperfield, of Blunderstone Rookery. Though, why Rookery? Nah, I don't know. I am, said Mr. Murdstone. Oh, you'll excuse my saying, sir, replied my aunt, uh, that I think it would have been much better and happier thing if you had left that poor child alone. Oh, look at her standing up for him. I so far agree with what Miss Trotwood has remarked, observed Miss Murdstone, uh, bridling, that I consider our lamented Clara to have been, in all essential respects, a a mere child. It is a comfort to you and me, ma'am, said my aunt, who are getting on in life that, uh, that are not likely to be made unhappy by our personal attractions, that nobody can say the same of us. Oh, no doubt returned Miss Murdstone, though, I thought, uh, not with a ready or gracious assent. They almost seem like they're kind of bonding in their own grotesque way. And it certainly might have been, as you say, a better and happier thing for my brother if he had never entered into such a marriage. I have always been of that opinion. Oh, I have no doubt you have, said my aunt. Janet, ringing the bell, my compliments to Mr. Dick, and beg him to come down. Until he came, well, my aunt, Sat perfectly upright and stiff, frowning at the wall. Oh, this would have been like us earlier when I ran out of things to say and we were waiting for the bell to go. When he came, uh, my aunt performed the ceremony of introduction. Uh, Mr. Dick, an old and intimate friend on whose judgment, said my aunt with emphasis as a admo- uh, ad- ad- <laughs> admonition, <laughs> I can't speak to Mr. Dick, who was biting his forefinger and looking uh, rather foolish. I rely. Uh, Mr. Dick took his finger out of his mouth on this hint and stood among the group with a grave and attentive expression of face. My aunt inclined her head to Mr. Murdstone, who went on. Uh, Miss Trotwood, on the receipt of your letter, I considered an act of greater justice to myself and perhaps of more respect to you. Thank you, said my aunt, still eyeing him keenly. You needn't remind me. 
Uh, to answer it in person, however inconvenient the journey, pursued Mr. Murdstone, rather than by letter. This unhappy boy who has run away from his friends and his occupation, and whose appearance, interposed his sister, uh, directing general attention to me in my indefinable costume, is perfectly scandalous uh, 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 and disgraceful. Jane Murdstone, said her brother, have the goodness not to interrupt me. This unhappy boy, Miss Trotwood, has been the occasion of such domestic trouble and uneasiness, both during the lifetime of my late dear wife and since. He has a, oh, a sullen, rebellious spirit, a violent temper, oh, this is all just lies, and an an untoward, intractable disposition. Both my sister and myself have endeavored to correct his vices, but ineffectually. And I have felt, eh, we both have felt, I may say, my sister being fully in my confidence, that it is right you should receive this grave and dispassionate assurance from our, from our lips. Eh, it can be hardly necessary for me to confirm anything stated by my brother, said Miss Murdstone, but I beg to observe that of all the boys in the world, I believe, this is the worst boy. Strong, said my aunt shortly. <laughs> I guess a, a modern version of that during a conversation of this kind would just be if you turned to them and said, that's very bold. But not at all too strong for the facts, returned Miss Murdstone. Ha, said my aunt. Well, sir, I have my own opinions, resumed Mr. Murdstone, whose face darkened more and more, and the more and more he and my aunt observed each other which they did very narrowly. As to the best mode of bringing him up, they are founded in part on my knowledge of him and in part of my knowledge of my own means and resources. I am responsible for them to myself. I act upon them, and I say no more about them. Burp. It is enough that I place this boy under the eye of a friend of my own in a respectable business, but it does not please him that he runs away from it makes himself a common vagabond about the country and comes here in rags to appeal to you, Miss Trout. How does he know about the rags? I wish to set before you honorably the exact consequences so far as they are within my knowledge of your abetting him in this appeal. Uh, But about the respectable business first, said my aunt. If you would have been your own boy, would you have put him to it? Uh, Just the same, I suppose." If he had been my brother's own boy, returned Miss Murdstone, striking in, his character, I trust, would have been altogether different. Or if the poor child, his mother, had been alive, he would still have gone into the respectable business, would he? said my aunt. I believe, said Miss Murdstone, Mr. Murdstone, with an inclination of his head, that Clara would have disputed nothing which myself and my sister Jane Murdstone were agreed was for the best. Miss Murdstone confirmed this with an audible murmur. Humph, said my aunt, unfortunate baby. Mr. Dick, who had been rattling his money all this time, was rattling it so loudly now that my aunt felt necessary to to check with a look before saying, This poor child's annuity died with her? Question mark. Died with her, replied Mr. Murdstone. And there was no settlement of the little property, the the house, the garden, and uh, what's-its-name rookery without any rooks in it upon her boy. It had been left to her 
unconditionally by her first husband, Mr. Murdstone began, when my aunt caught him up with the greatest irrescapable and, and, and impatience. Good Lord, man, there's no occasion to say that. Left to her unconditionally, I think I see David Copperfield looking forward to any condition of any sort or kind, though it stared him point blank in the face. Of course it was left to her unconditionally. But when she married again, when she took that most disastrous step of marrying you in short, said my aunt, to be plain, did no one put in a word for that boy at that time? My late wife loved her second husband, ma'am, said Mr. Murdstone, and trusted implicitly in him. Your late wife, sir, was a most unworldly, most unhappy, most unfortunate baby, returned my aunt, shaking her head at him. That's what she was. And now, what have you got to say next? Merely this, Miss Trotwood, he returned. I am here to take David back, to take him back unconditionally, to dispose of him as I think proper, and deal with him as I think right. I'm not uh, here to make any promise or give any pledge to anybody. You may possibly have uh, some idea, Miss Trotwood, of abetting him in his running away and in his complaints to you. Your manner, uh, which I must say does not seem intended to be appropriate, uh, induces me to think it possible. Now, I must caution you that if you abet him once, you abet him for good and all. If you step between him and me now, you must step in, Miss Trotwood, forever. I cannot trifle or be trifled with. I am here for the first and last time to take him away. Is he uh, ready to go? Well, no, he's standing in a corner with a chair locking him in. If he is not, and you tell me he is not on any pretense, it is indifferent to me uh, what my doors are shut against him henceforth, and yours, I take it for granted, are open to him. To this address, my aunt had listened with the closest attention, sitting perfectly upright with her hands folded on one knee, and looking grimly on the speaker. When he had finished, she turned her eyes so as to command Miss Murdstone without otherwise disturbing her attitude, and said, "Eh, Well, ma'am, have you got anything to remark? Indeed, Miss Trotwood, said Miss Murdstone. All that I can say has been so well said by my brother, and all I know to be the fact has been so plainly stated by him, that I have nothing to add except my thanks for your politeness. For your very great politeness, I'm sure, said Miss Murdstone, with an irony which no more affected my aunt than it uh, decomposed on the cannon I had slept by uh, at Catham. "'What does the boy say?' said my aunt. "'Are you ready to go, David?' Yeah, "'I answered no, and entreated her not to let me go. "'I said that neither Mr. or Miss Murdstone had ever liked me "'or had ever been kind to me, "'and that they had made my mama, who had always loved me dearly, "'unhappy about me, and that I knew well and that Peggotty knew it. "'And I said that I had been more miserable than I thought anybody could believe.' Uh, who only knew how young I was. And I begged and prayed my aunt, I forget what terms now, but I remember that they affected me very much then, to befriend and protect me for my father's sake. Mr. Dick, said my aunt, what shall I do with this child? Well, Mr. Dick considered, hesitated, brightened, and rejoined, uh, have him measured for a suit of clothes directly. Mr. Dick, said my aunt, triumphantly, give me your hand. "'for your common sense is invaluable. 
having shaken it with great cordiality, and pulled me toward her and said to Mr. Murdstone, You can go when you like. I'll take my chance with this boy, and if he's all that you say is, at least I can do as much for him then as you have done. But I don't believe a, a word of it. Uh, Miss Trotwood, rejoined Mr. Murdstone, shrugging his shoulders as he rose, If you were a gentleman, bah! Stuff and, stuff and nonsense, said my aunt. Don't talk to me. How exquisitely polite, exclaimed Miss Murdstone, rising. Overpowering, really. Do you think I don't know, said my aunt, turning a deaf ear to the sister and continuing to address the brother and shake her head at him with infinite expression. Hey, what kind of life you must have led that poor, unhappy, misdirected baby? Do you think I don't know what a woeful day it was for the soft little creature when you first came in her way, smirking and making great eyes at her? I'll be bound as if you wouldn't say bah, B-O-H, <laughs> to a goose. I never heard anything so elegant, said Miss Murdstone. Oh, Miss Murdstone's really just being a passive-aggressive little jerk. But you, you, you think I can't understand you as well as if you had seen you? Pursued my aunt. Now that I do see and hear you, which I tell you can't at least anything but pleasure to me. Oh, yes. Bless us! Exclamation point. Who's so smooth and silky as Mr. Murdstone at first? The poor, benighted innocent had never seen such a man. He was made of sweetness. Oh, he worshipped her. He doted on her boy, tenderly doted on him, exclamation point. He was to be another father to him, and they were all to live together in a garden of roses. Weren't they? Ugh! Get along with you. Do, said my aunt. I never heard anything like this person in my life, exclaimed Miss Murdstone. And when you had made sure of the poor little fool, said my aunt, God forgive me that I should call her so. And she gone where you won't go in a hurry, because you had not done wrong enough to her and hers. You must begin to train her, must you? Begin to break her like a poor caged bird and wear her deluded life away in teaching her to sing your notes. This is... "'Either insanity or intoxication,' said Miss Murdstone in a perfect agony "'at not being able to turn the current of my aunt's address towards herself. "'And uh, my suspicion is that it's uh, intoxication.' "'Miss Betsy, without taking the least notice of the interruption, "'continued to address herself to Mr. Murdstone as if there had been no such thing. "'Mr. Murdstone,' she said, shaking her finger at him, "'you were a tyrant to the simple baby, and you broke your heart.' She was a loving baby. I know that. I knew it years before you ever saw her. And though the best part of her weakness, you gave her the wound she died of. There, burp, is the truth for your comfort, however you like it, and you and your instruments may make the most of it. Allow me to inquire, Miss Trotwood, imposed Miss Murdstone. Mr. Murdstone's not saying a word here. And are they leaving? What's going on? They're just like standing there shouting at each other. Whom are you pleased to call, in a choice of worlds in which I am not experienced, my brother's instru instruments? <laughs> it was clear enough, as I have told you years before you ever saw her, and why, in the mysterious dispensations of Providence, uh, you ever did see her is more than humanity can comprehend. It was clear enough that the poor soft little thing would marry somebody at some time or another, but I did hope it wouldn't have been as bad as it turned out. That was the time, Miss Murdstone, when she gave birth to her boy here, said my aunt, to the 
poor child you sometimes tormented her through afterwards, uh, which is a disagreeable remembrance and makes the sight of him odious now. Aye, aye, you needn't wince, said my aunt. I know it's true without that. She stood by the door, all this while observant of her with a smile upon his face. Oh, well, now we finally find out what he's doing. Through his black eyebrows, though his black eyebrows were heavily contracted, I remarked now that though the smile on his face still, his color had gone for a moment, and he seemed to breathe as if he had been running. Good day, sir, said my aunt, and goodbye. Good day to you, too, ma'am, said my aunt, turning suddenly upon his sister. Let me see you ride a donkey over my green again, and as sure as you have a head upon your shoulders, I'll knock your bonnet off and, uh, and tread upon it. It would require a painter, and no common painter, too, to depict my aunt's face as she delivered herself of this very unexpected sentiment, and Miss Murdstone's face as she heard it. But the manner of the speech, no less than the manner, was so fiery that Miss Murdstone, without a word of an answer, discreetly put her arm through her brother's and walked haughtily out the cottage. My aunt, remaining in the window, looking after them, prepared. I have no doubt, in case of the donkey's reappearance, to carry her threat to an instant execution. No attempt at defiance being made, however. Her face gradually relaxed and became so pleasant oh, that I was emboldened to, to kiss, to kiss and thank her, which I did with, with great heartiness, always with the kissing. And with both my arms clasped round her neck, I then shook hands with Mr. Dick, who shook hands with me a great many times, and hailed this happy close of the proceedings with repeated bursts of laughter. "'You'll consider yourself guardian jointly with me of this child, Mr. Dick,' said my aunt. "'I shall be delighted,' said Mr. Dick, "'to be the guardian of David's son.' "'Very good,' returned my aunt. "'That's settled.' I have been thinking, do you know, Mr. Dick, that I might call him mm, Trotwood? Yeah, certainly, certainly call him Trotwood, certainly, said Mr. Dick. David's son's Trotwood. Trotwood Copperfield, you mean, returned my aunt. Uh, yes, to be sure, yes, Trotwood Copperfield, said Mr. Dick, a little abashed. My aunt took so kindly to the notion that some ready-made clothes which were purchased for me that afternoon, oh, finally, were marked Trotwood Copperfield. Oh, so she already planned this out. In her own handwriting, and in indelible marking ink before I put them on. And it was settled that all the other clothes which were ordered to be made for me, a complete outfit was bespoke that afternoon, should be marked in the same way. Thus I began my new life, in a new name, and with everything new about me. Now that the state of doubt was over, I felt for many days, uh, like one in a dream. I never thought that I had a curious couple of guardians in my aunt and Mr. Dick. I never thought of anything about myself distinctly. The two things clearest in my mind were that a remoteness had come upon the old Blunderstone life, which seemed to lie in a haze of immeasurable distance, and that a certain a curtain had forever fallen on my life at Murdstone and Grinby's. No one has ever raised that curtain since. I have lifted it for a moment, even in this narrative, uh, with a reluctant hand, and dropped it gladly. The remembrance of that life is fraught with so much pain to me, with so much mental suffering and want of hope that I never had the courage even to examine how long I was doomed to lead it, 
Whether it lasted for a year or more or less, nah, I don't know. I only know uh, that it was, uh, it ceased to be, and that I have written, and there I leave it. Well, come on, get in here, get in the smoking room, so we can uh, hurry up and recap this chapter, and then I can go to bed. Uh, so what happened? Miss Betsy writes to the Birdstones and uh, says, I've got your kid. Uh, and then she tells David, I don't know what I'm going to do until they write back or show up or something. And David finds out that Mr. Dick, lols, has mental problems. He's been working on a manuscript forever about the beheading of King Charles and how he's somehow involved. Uh, and also, this guy loves flying kites as a way of getting the word out. So I guess, if anything, Mr. Dick uh, has uh, tried to invent the internet by taking his manuscript, making a kite out of it, and then throwing it up in the air and hoping that people get it. So, that's cute. Uh, Miss Betsy uh, says that she took Dick in when she learned that his family was going to send him to an institution, uh, and she thinks he's fine. The Murdstones show up, uh, <coughs> and explain that they're going to do what they want with David. And they also say he's a crap kid. Miss Betsy stands up for David, the only person so far in this book, because even his mom wouldn't do it, saying they've uh, ruined his mom's life. And she goes off on him. And I love how she keeps ignoring uh, Miss Murdstone uh, to just keep yelling at the, the, the dad. And she says she's going to keep David and uh, get out of my house. And Dave loves that he's got a home where he's not going to be treated like crap. And then uh, Betsy nicknames him Mr. Trotwood. So, what do we learn? Well, we learn that Miss Betsy and Mr. Dick are uh, two eccentric characters who have chosen to make an alternate an alternative life together, which is kind of progressive. Uh, each of them has their own strange habits, but they are essentially kind-hearted people, which are the first people he's experiencing in his life, uh, except for... Uh, his previous maid's family, but for some reason they won't take him in, which kind of seems weird, even though he fell in love with their kid. Uh, the confrontation between the Miss Betsy and Mr. Dick and the Murdstones is a change from the previous standoffs that the Murdstones have had with other adults, because normally the Murdstones just keep winning based on their affluence. Uh, Miss Betsy refuses to believe what they say about David and defends him, and this is a strong contrast to what he had with his own mom. Uh, the difference between Miss Betsy and David's mother uh, sets up a fundamental contrast in David's view of women, in which is emotionally drawn to women of uh, his mother's type. You can tell I wrote this out ahead of time. Uh, while being nurtured and protected by those of Miss Betsy's type. Uh, and also, you have progressive characters so far finally showing up in this book. Progressive in how they live and how they treat David, based on the, the norms of the time. But they're always painted as crazy. So... Uh, his previous maid that brings him out to the houseboat is not seen as a normal lady, and uh, she's kind of frantic and running around and and snipping at the mom and just not a you know up, an upright kind of person. But they're they're nurturing to David and they take him in and stuff. Uh, but then they don't let him stay there. But so now here with Miss Betsy, uh, she's very uh, angry, uh, worked into a lather about donkeys all the time. And, uh, but actually stands up for him and lives a, a better life than people of that time. Why do they got to be crazy? Why can't they just be a normal person that also 
has these ideas and views. We don't know. Maybe it'll be explained further on in the book. Well, in that case, that doesn't apply to me uh, staring at walls, fighting with my cats. This book doesn't answer any of my questions in my life, which means this book is pointless. So, with that, thanks for listening, and uh, I will see you in the next episode. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most, where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, uh, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So I got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's one left. <laughs>